This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, what do you know? A new CDC survey that gathered data from more than a dozen medical institutions has revealed 85% of the people who contracted COVID-19 during July were heavy-duty mask wearers within the two weeks before they were infected. And 70% of those who tested positive as outpatients wore masks all the time. So much for the masks will protect you from the coronavirus myth. And also, we just saw the World Health Organization warn against COVID-19 lockdowns, information we could have used about six months ago when thousands of businesses could have been saved. But these aren't the only lies about COVID-19 the media has fed us continually in the name of science. Why don't they report this in the media, honestly? And more to the point, what do global power brokers and their desire for a global reset have to do with it all? We're going to get some details today with Leo Homan, veteran investigative reporter and author of Stealth Invasion. Leo, so great to have you with us again. Thank you, Janet. Great to be with you. Well, you have written a really important piece, I think, at your site about the three biggest lies about COVID-19 that have all been exposed. Let's talk about this first one, the lie that COVID carries a very high death rate. Now we've we've realized that uh, all these millions of deaths that were predicted never came to pass. What, what of this particular statistic that we were all told at the outset and now we learn, no, it wasn't true? Right. Uh, If you recall back in February, March, April, May, all we ever heard about was the extremely high death rate that COVID that comes along with the COVID virus. And if anybody said that, you know, anyone tried to compare it in any way to the flu, you would just get automatically shot down. I mean, I myself was trashed on social media just for saying that, you know, we should wait till we have some larger sample sizes to before we conclude what the death rate is because all of the so-called experts were speaking as if it were gospel that this virus carried at least a 3% death rate, 3 to 5% in many cases. Uh, well, just last week, the uh, United Nations World Health Organization came out with its updated mortality rate for COVID-19, and sure enough, it came in at almost exactly the same rate as the flu, as the flu which is one-tenth of one percent. Wow. Wow. And, and look at all the these damages. Months, look all at All these months, yeah. we've been carrying on as if this, this, this COVID-19 virus was 26 times more deadly than the common flu, when in fact, it was almost the exact same rate as the flu in terms of the number of deaths it's been causing. Unbelievable. Well, what whatever happened to 15 days to slow the spread? That was about 150 right. days ago. What what happened right. to that lie? Yeah, I think we're almost bearing down on uh, 200 days now. It, it's, it's, it's really incredible, Janet, how they've been able to get away with these massive lies. I, I guess, you know, 
as, as Hitler's Goebbels, his, his propaganda minister said, if you tell a big enough lie and you tell it often enough, it's easier to convince the public that it's true than if it were a small lie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And the whole thing at the outset was about not overwhelming the hospitals. That was the big thing that they told us. Well, we should all stay home for a couple of weeks because we don't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed. And look what happened. We're getting the stats right. now on people who had cancer or heart attacks or very serious illnesses and didn't go to the emergency room because they thought it was their civic responsibility to not overwhelm the hospitals that weren't being overwhelmed. They had to send the ship back from New York that Trump sent and, and all kinds of other places throughout the United States that have prepared for overflow that never came and how many people in the in the end of all of this will we discover died needlessly because they were you know victims really of this panic this fake panic that was stirred up by the media and a lot of these politicians absolutely and you could make a strong argument that the 211,000 I think it's up to 211,000 deaths in America that they say have resulted from covid you could make a very strong argument with hard data uh, that not a fraction of those deaths are legitimately COVID-related. True. Uh, because we've been told, remember, uh, Deborah Burks, Dr. Burks, early on back in, I think it was late March, early April, said, at a public, uh, pre- said publicly in a press conference that the CDC had advised hospitals to be, quote, liberal with their death certificates when it came to COVID-19 caused deaths. And, and the CD, if, see, if you read their guidelines and you go to the website, it said that if the symptoms looked like COVID, then the doctor should presume that it should feel free to presume that it was COVID. Yeah. So they didn't even have to test to make sure that it was a COVID-related death. Right. Well, and the other thing, and you you get into this, too, as your second lie that you've written about here at your site, COVID is spread by asymptomatic super spreaders. The asymptomatic thing has been a really good tool for these tyrants to shut everybody down because you you don't want to go back to college. You don't want to have these in-person classes in K through 12 schools because you could be asymptomatic and then you could kill your teacher. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, this had to have been one of the most scary things that they tried to plant into the minds of American people. And it literally made people afraid of their own friends and often even family members. I've I've heard stories of married couples. You know, if one or two works outside the house, they they were so afraid of spreading the virus to each other that they no longer even slept in the same room together. I mean... I personally have lost friends over this because they want they friends of mine wanted me to wear a mask if I came over to visit them because, you know, I couldn't be trusted. Even though I'm healthy and I know I'm healthy, I had to wear a mask and stay six feet apart. Well, that ruined a lot of friendships. And I can personally attest to that. Uh, It was diabolical, this particular lie that. COVID-19 is spread by asymptomatic people, meaning they have no symptoms. They're walking around. They look healthy. They feel healthy. But you still can't trust them (laughs) because they could be carrying the virus and they could be spreading it massively to everyone they come in contact with. Absolutely false. We now know that if you're asymptomatic, that means like any other virus, this is COVID-19 is a virus and 
viruses have been around for thousands of years, and scientists know an awful lot about how they work. This is an upper resp- This is a virus that attacks the upper respiratory system, like every other upper respiratory virus. If you don't have the symptoms, you can't spread it because you spread it by coughing and sneezing and and releasing the droplets into the air. Right. And so it is virtually impossible to spread. Uh, by an asymptomatic, they simply don't have enough of the virus in their system. The yeah. viral load is too low. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and it's so outrageous, especially now that we know that 85% of the people who are getting COVID-19 were good mask wearers. They were really yeah. good, obedient American citizens, and they got it anyway, which just goes to show you what a useless prospect it is to, to rely well, on the masks. Yes, we're taught in this country, Janet, to to play by the rules, and I understand that. But sometimes you've just got to use your brain and question the rules. Uh, Just because somebody says that they're an expert does not mean that they are giving you the truth, because they could be an expert, but does that mean that they're an honest expert? Well, we found out later that we were being railroaded and led to believe certain things by dishonest experts. Well, that's right. You know, that's a really good point. And even people who are in the medical field, you know, deeply uh, doesn't matter if they don't know anything about epidemiology or they don't have any kind of expertise in the area of viruses, then, you know, even people in the medical field may not be the people to be talking about definitive action on what ought to be done, especially now that we've learned so many people were wrong about this. And another issue pertaining to this whole thing, Leo, is big tech, as we know, if you've been on social media with any frequency during this pandemic, shuts people down merely for sharing information that may not be what the media is spreading. And this really goes back to this whole issue of the great reset that is behind all of this. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today with Leo Home and talking about COVID-19, the lies and the global power brokers. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much is one life worth? Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Meffer Today listeners, just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of preborn. How does preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need your help to support the vital work of preborn in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We are back. Thanks for being with us. Leo Homan is joining us, investigative reporter, author of Stealth Invasion, and really has a great piece at his site, leohoman.com, on the COVID-19 lies we've been told. We've covered a couple of them, but I had mentioned before we went to the break, Leo, the fact that big tech has been shutting down people who dare to go against the COVID-19 narrative. What does that tell you about the bigger picture here? Well, it tells you that they're somehow invested in the narrative that's already been out there for the last eight months. Uh, And that shouldn't surprise us because a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the Event 201 conference that took place in October of last year. Yes. And uh, basically this was a, a conference that included, it was sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and John Hopkins University, and along with the World Economic Forum. And at this conference, all of the uh, big tech media brokers, uh, you know, the, uh, the the CDC, the Chinese CDC, they all got together and got on the same page about how to message the public about a coming global viral pandemic. Actually, a coronavirus pandemic. They even called it a coronavirus pandemic. Uh, This was October 19th of last year, at least a month before the virus was released from that lab in Wuhan, China. So somebody knew something. uh, But the messaging that was revealed, and this is all on video. I think it's still on video if if you go to the John Hopkins Center for Health Security website where you can see them discussing this. They talk about flooding the zone with the same informational messaging. Hmm. Uh, Well, you know, people react to information. We know that. And if all the information is the same coming from multiple media, mainstream media outlets, and it's continuous day after day after day, just pounded into people's brains, it's no surprise that people are going to react in the desired way, which was to create fear and panic. And so that leads you to the question, well, why did they want fear and panic? Well, if you go to the World Economic Forum website, they kind of tell you what is going on because they have a video on there where they introduce something called the Great Reset. Mm. And in this video, we see uh, the director of the International Monetary Fund, the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, the British royal family, 
uh, members all speaking about the need to reset the global economy, and not only the economy, but the social order. So they want a brand new economy and a brand new social order, meaning they needed to get rid of the old order. And in order to do that, what? You've got to get people to willingly go along with it, and that would never happen in normal times. So they had to create a new normal. And it's interesting how that word, new norm, that phrase, new normal, immediately uh, became ubiquitous. All friends of mine were talking about the new normal. You know, they didn't know what they were talking about, but they were using that phrase. (sighs) And uh, people were willing to put normalcy aside and go along with new ways of thinking. And that is exactly what the World Economic Forum wanted them to do, if you listen to this video. They wanted a new economy based on Green New Deal type of principles, and they wanted a new social order, meaning, you know, let's change the way people, the values that people hold, uh, you know, the time-honored values, which, let's face it, in the Western world, it's based on Christian values, Judeo-Christian values. They want a clean slate, and they want to start over with a new world order. Oh, man. Do you believe then that the collapse of thousands of businesses across the United States, rather than being a sorrowful thing to these power brokers, really was a good thing in their estimation, including some of the American power brokers who were all for these lockdowns that have now been discounted by the World Health Organization? I absolutely do believe that, Janet. I believe that the three uh, targets of this COVID-19 scam, which I do believe the virus is real. Don't misunderstand me. I do believe people have died from it. The average age in America is 78 years old, and the average number of comorbidities is 2.6. So basically, it's elderly people who are already very sick, who, who are vulnerable and susceptible to this virus. But the rest of it, which we've already discussed based on these three lies, and those aren't the only lies they've told, those are just the three biggest ones, uh, were, were, were done in order to get to change the way people think. And the, the three targets, if you, if you look at the, 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 the forced shutdowns, the forced lockdowns, the non-essential businesses that were closed, the churches that were closed, I believe they were targeting capitalism and they were targeting Christianity. Yep. Religion in general, but especially Christianity, uh, because capitalism is part of the old order that they want to replace with a Green New Deal-based economy. Uh, Some people call it sustainable development. Some people call it technocracy. Uh, Others call it the new green economy. But whatever you call it, it is not capitalism. And we recently had the Pope. He's also on board with this. And he came out with a new encyclical on October 3rd, titled Fratelli Tutti, which means is translated from the Latin, brothers all. And in that encyclical, uh, he bears out exactly what I'm saying here, Jan. He trashes capitalism, he glorifies collectivism, uh, and he calls for a, a, a new socialistic-based order. And uh, he, he even mentions COVID as a significant Uh, triggering factor. He says, this is a quote, the COVID-19 pandemic momentarily revived the sense that we are a global community, all in the same boat, where one person's problems are the problems of all. 
once more we realize that no one is saved alone. We can only be saved to, together. And so he believed that COVID-19 is a sort of linchpin where we all have this, you know, rebirth of consciousness where we can uh, understand finally that we're all brothers in the world, we're all part of the same fraternity, and we should all go along with a socialistic one-world order. Yeah, sounds awfully... He also also trashes national sovereignty in that encyclical. Good grief. Well, it it really goes along with Revelation, doesn't it? And Daniel and all the rest. (laughs) Yes, it certainly does. Yeah, and you know, when you talk about the target of this COVID-19 scam, not the virus itself, but the response to the virus, I've been saying this since, I think, April. They are targeting churches They are allowing liquor stores and abortion clinics to stay open. And then, of course, when the George Floyd moment hit and we had all the leftists in the streets, the jig was up. And I was saying, not that, you know, everyone in the country could hear me saying this, but to the audience that I'm talking to every day, I said, the churches need to open. We need to open. We need to fight back. And I've been so encouraged to see those churches that have fought back. But relatively speaking, Leo, there have been very few. And same with the businesses. You've had some businesses fight back. I want to open up. This is ridiculous. I'm going to lose my my ability to feed my family. Why haven't more Christians and more Americans in general fought back against all of this as we learned more about the virus? Well, I think it's proof that once you press a lie into people's heads and let it uh, metastasize, let it sit there and 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 regurgitate it, you know, month after month after month. You can come back, you know, six, seven, eight months later and start to reveal, dribble, sort of, sort of dribble out the real truth, the real facts, which we see happening now. But it's too late then. It's already been impressed in people's minds. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I know so many people of all ages, really, who still, they, they don't believe now the, the, the real facts as they come out. They still believe the old facts. Yes, you're right about that. You're right about that. And, and what you've said in your piece, which I think people need to really understand, is all of these global power brokers you speak of at the UN and the World Economic Forum, et cetera, et cetera, who want this great reset, they want to do away with free market capitalism and the replacement would be a global technocratic surveillance state likely to include a new digital currency and digital ID system. That's right to Revelation, Leo. And the thing is, they've been talking about this. You know, let's get rid of the dollar as the reserve currency. Let's do, you know, let's just do a whole new thing. And now we've got this election in front of us. What happens if Trump is reelected? Does that disrupt everything? Or how do you see this going forward? I think the left is going to go absolutely berserk if Trump is elected in a landslide. Um, if, the, if the election is, is close and it, it involves, you know, weeks or months of counting and recounting and haggling in the courts, then I don't have a good feeling about Trump's chances of ending up the victor. Yeah. Um, but let's just say that uh, God is good and Trump is granted a overwhelming uh, electoral college landslide victory. And I have seen some predictions from people who were right in predicting the 2016 presidential election have got Trump figured at getting 333 electoral votes, which would be a landslide victory. Um, 
I think the left is going to go berserk. I think they're going to be out in the streets. They're going to be more vicious this time than they were in May and June during the racial justice, racial justice riots. Yeah, I agree. I think they're armed up and they're going to be ready to kill. I agree with you on that. I, I've been talking about the A-word assassination for a while, and I think there will be attempts to assassinate people. We've already seen the left killing people in the streets. This security guard in Denver, what happened yeah. out in Portland. I mean, we've already seen a little taste of it, and it would seem that it's just going to be the gates of hell opening up. But Christians have got to be prepared, as you wisely say, Leo, both physically and spiritually for what is ahead. LeoHoman.com, you can check out all of Leo's great Great writings. Leo, thank you so much for being with us and keep up the good work. Always my pleasure, Janet. Thank you. God bless you. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Boy, I'll tell you, watching the confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett really convinces me that I just never would have been a good fit for any kind of legal pursuit. I can't imagine what it's like to sit there and have to listen to these Democrats do this performance theater on me for hours and hours and hours. There was a great moment, though, and perhaps you saw this when Senator John Cornyn of Texas had asked Judge Barrett what kinds of notes she had in front of her, and she held up a blank notepad, and he said, what does it say on there? And she said, it's the letterhead that says United States Senate. That was a great moment. It really was, because it showed just how smart and how prepared she really was, and it did show uh, as she went along and talked about all of the things that were thrown at her during the course of day two of the confirmation hearings. Here was an interesting moment. Senator Lindsey Graham asked her, and I thought this was kind of an interesting question, how it feels to be nominated for the Supreme Court. And this is what she said. Cut one. I've tried to be on a media blackout for the sake of my mental health, but, you know, you can't keep yourself walled off from everything. And I'm aware of a lot of the caricatures that are floating around. So I think what I would like to say in response to that question is that, um, Look, I've made distinct choices. I've decided to pursue a career and have a large family. I have a multiracial family. Our faith is important to us. Um, All of those things are true, but they are my choices. And in my personal interactions with people, I mean, I have a life brimming with people who've made different choices, and I've never tried in my personal life to impose my choices on them. And the same is true professionally. I mean, I apply the law, and, and Senator... I think um, I should say why I'm sitting in this seat in response to that question, too, why I've agreed to be here, because I don't think it's any secret to any of you or to the American people that this is a really difficult, some might say excruciating process. Um, and Jesse and I had a very brief amount of time to make a decision with momentous consequences for our family. 
We knew that our lives would be combed over for any negative detail. We knew that our faith would be caricatured. We knew our family would be attacked. And so we had to decide whether those difficulties would be worth it, because what sane person would go through that if there wasn't a benefit on the other side? And the benefit, I think, is that I'm committed to the rule of law and the role of the Supreme Court in dispensing equal justice for all. And I'm not the only person who could do this job, but I was asked, and it would be difficult for anyone. So why should I say someone else should do the difficulty if the difficulty is the only reason to say no, I should serve my country? And my family's all in on that because they share my belief in the rule of law. Good answer. I like that answer. And I also liked what Senator Graham said right after that answer. Listen to cut two. I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad President Trump chose you. Uh, And really before the people of the United States is a very basic question. Is it okay to be religiously conservative? Is it okay to be pro-life in your personal life? It clearly is okay to be progressive and be pro-choice and seek uh, a seat on the Supreme Court. I think resoundingly yes. And here's why your nomination is so important to me. In my world, to be a young conservative woman is not an easy path to take. We have two women on this committee. They can talk about it better than I. So I want to thank uh, President Trump for choosing you, and I will do everything I can to make sure that you have a seat at the table, and that table is the Supreme Court. And if anybody in the country, in my view, deserves to have a seat at the table based on the way they've lived their life and their capabilities in the law, it is you, Judge. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman Graham. I appreciated that Lindsey Graham said that because it brought up a very important issue. Is it okay to be a religious conservative and is it okay to be pro-life? The reason that's important to bring up is because a lot of the people sitting there on that committee don't believe that that is a valid thing. To be a Roman Catholic as Amy Coney Barrett is, to be an evangelical Christian as I am and perhaps you are, that just disqualifies you because you're not progressive. You just don't have a bold vision for the future and the wonderful utopia that's about to emerge out of the rioting, looting, and all the rest that's going on on the streets of the United States right now with leftist approval. If you're not for that, you're clearly a weirdo. And if you're pro-life, that means you can't be fair and you need to get lost and, you know, get with the program. Get with the program. It's kind of funny because these people, I think, when it comes right down to it, really do believe that they're making progress. And in fact, what they're doing is regressing. They're they're completely regressing. None of their ideas are new, except maybe with the exception of so-called same-sex marriage. That's relatively new. About 20 years ago is when people invented that concept. So that's rather new, but that's regression. That's not progress. Illinois Senator Dick Durbin also had an interesting moment with Judge Barrett. He asked what impact the George Floyd video had on her and her kids. And of course, Judge Barrett has two African-American children. Well, they're not, well, they're Haitian, so they're, they're black children. And Durbin asked, where are we today? He gave some different options on what people say about our moment regarding race. Is there systemic racism? Is there not? How do you feel? This is how she answered, cut three. I think it is an entirely uncontroversial and obvious statement given, as we just talked about the George Floyd video, that racism persists in our country. As to putting my finger on the nature of the problem, you know, whether, as you say, it's just outright or systemic racism, 
or how to tackle the, prop, the issue of making it better, those things you know, are policy questions. They're hotly contested policy contest, uh, questions that have been in the news and discussed all summer. So while, you know, as I did share my personal experience, I'm very, you know, happy to discuss the, the reaction our family had to the George Floyd video, giving broader statements or making, you know, broader diagnoses about the problem of racism is kind of beyond what I'm capable of doing as a judge. Which is why I reacted to Durbin's question by saying to myself, why are you asking her this? Because it is outside of her purview as a judge. Her view as a judge really doesn't matter if she's about interpreting the Constitution correctly and about applying the appropriate measures and precedents to whatever case comes before her. Who cares? I mean, on some level, on some level, who cares how our kids reacted to George Floyd? Although I think on a personal level, that's very interesting. She said they were upset and that's, you know, we were all upset watching the George Floyd video. So what kind of moment was Durbin trying to create? Well, he's just a drama king. That's what he does. That's what all of these guys do. Here's another thing that really bothered me about the Democrats. Democrats, as Fox News pointed out, called for Judge Barrett to recuse herself from an upcoming case dealing with Obamacare if she were confirmed. And while she didn't commit to doing so, she did say she'll follow the Supreme Court's rules if they call for her to do so. And then CNN also pointed out Judge Barrett eluded efforts by Democratic lawmakers to commit to recusing herself from any Supreme Court election dispute between President Trump and Joe Biden. What kind of weird thing is this? You have somebody who is going through the tryout confirmation hearing to actually get on the Supreme Court and you're already telling her, "Okay, don't judge on this case and don't judge on that case. Will you commit? Listen, I don't remember those guys getting all up in arms over Justice Elena Kagan refusing to recuse herself from the first Obamacare case that was such a mess, the NFIB v. Sebelius case. She had a legal duty to recuse herself from that case. And you can go back and read some of the stories on this. There is actually a federal statute here saying a justice has a legal duty to recuse herself from a proceeding in which the justice has served in government employment and in such capacity participated as counsel or advisor concerning the proceeding. Any such participation would appear to be disqualifying. And National Review points out in her capacity as Solicitor General, Justice Kagan was personally involved in advising how to defend against challenges to Obamacare. So she had an actual responsibility to recuse herself. She didn't do it. And here they are preemptively telling Judge Barrett, you need to recuse yourself from Obamacare. All of this is political theater. They don't care whether or not she has to recuse herself. They're just hoping they can pressure her to recuse herself because they're scared to death about a 5-4 conservative Supreme Court. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back, though. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the South and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888 888- 247-5499. Did you know that Bible list believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the Ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really uh, hungry for the Word of God and then they need the Bible. Nepo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Yes Word, 800 Yes Word. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I guess this shouldn't surprise me at all. But we're seeing these leftist, progressive, quote-unquote, evangelicals putting out more statements, trying to get conservative evangelicals to vote for Biden and vote for a Democrat ticket. Now we've got a new PAC, a new super PAC dubbed Not Our Faith. AP reports on this. Michael Ware, the former Obama faith advisor who headed up the AND campaign, which is another little effort to try to turn evangelicals liberal. Uh, He's now behind this whole thing. And it's hilarious to me how AP, which is about as far left as you can ever get in journalism, and that's kind of a typical thing in journalism these days, that they call them a group of prominent Christians from both sides of the aisle. Right. Lots of conservatives want to move the evangelical vote over to the Biden column, the Harris column, I should say. Harris Biden 2020. Yeah, right. There are a lot of people on the conservative side of the aisle who are just dying to switch, which is why you need so many of these organized efforts to try to strong arm people into voting for Biden. Why? Because organically, it ain't happening. Not among evangelical Christians, not when we've seen so much movement on the pro-life issue under President Trump, not when we've seen so much effort on the behalf of Christians concerning religious liberty, on and on and on, pro-Israel, all of the issues that matter so much to Christians, they're happy with Trump. That's why the numbers are continuing to stay basically where they were in 2016. That's why Michael Ware and company are getting so desperate. 
I mean, you even have another statement out from the NAE, National Association of Evangelicals, Russell Moore and Company, Karen Swallow Pryor, Ron Sider, Scott Sauls, the Revoice supporter, all these people coming together, Shane Claiborne, you know, the same group. Oh, we must pursue justice in the way we've... I mean, they're so boring at this point. Who in the world is listening to these guys? I said a little bit tongue-in-cheek, they kind of remind me of when you drive by a car dealership and you see those gigantic wind socks. I don't know if you have those where you live, but we have them where we live. You're driving down the, 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 the expressway and you see this big car dealership and there's a big wind sock and it catches your attention. And you go, oh, look at the wind sock. It's never once made me say, hey, honey, turn to my husband. Hey, honey, let's go buy a new car. I didn't want a new car until I saw the windsock. But now that I've seen the windsock, I think I'll get a car. That's not what makes people buy cars. The windsock gets attention. Maybe if you didn't know the dealership was there, it would put it in your head. And then when you were ready to buy a car, you'd go buy a car. But that, that's basically what I'm seeing from this crowd is it's a windsock, but it means nothing. It doesn't mean anything to people who have a biblical worldview. So I say, you know, more power to you guys. You're not our faith pack. Go ahead. You know what? I agree. I agree. You guys are not of our faith. I'm just going to have to give you that. And I hope that you guys blow millions. In fact, I think you should spend billions. Just as high as that ticker can go. Spend as much money as you can possibly raise and it'll be just like throwing it down the toilet. But it'll make me happy because if you throw it down the toilet, then you can't spend it on other terrible things. I I like wasteful spending when it comes to fruitless causes. So let's move over to this subject of Joe Biden a little bit. I want to address this because you might have heard his really bad day on Monday. Really, really bad day. He forgot Mitt Romney's name and just referred to him as the Mormon, which I'm sure Mitt Romney really appreciated. Okay, the Mormon. Remember the Mormon? And then this was the worst part of it. Listen to this exchange. Cut four. Gallup reported last week 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration, vote for you. Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. They think 54% of American people are better off economically today than they were in our administration. Well, their memory is not very good, quite frankly. And in addition to that, we have a president who doesn't share the values of most Americans. He doesn't sh- share the values of most Americans and he doesn't tell the truth. Well, I could talk about that a little bit Uh Joe Biden, by the way, also said he was running for Senate. That's at least the second time he said that on the presidential campaign trail. He also forgot what state he was in, and he gave out an erroneous website. Things are not going well for Joe Biden at all, not to mention the fact that when you see his rallies, there are usually a handful of people. I mean, he might have enough for a round of bridge, but not much more than that. And we're supposed to look at all these polls with terror. Oh, Biden is up by 30 points. Nobody's saying 30, but it's at least 10. How in the world do you reconcile that with what you're seeing with the boat parades and the car parades and the gigantic rally the president had the other night? It it just doesn't make sense. And just remember, 2016 also made no sense. What was it? The New York Times gave Hillary Clinton the night before the election something like a 98% chance of winning. Oops, they had to do a lot of uh, bringing that number down as the night went on. So let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden. The Washington Free Beacon has a good piece. Biden talked of attending black church as a teen, but members don't recall it. Gee, what a shock. 
On the campaign trail, Joe Biden has talked frequently about his early years in the civil rights movement, and he talked about regularly attending a black church in Wilmington, Delaware, where he got involved in organizing anti-segregation protests in the early 60s. Last year in a speech before the Push Coalition, he said, I got raised in the black church. We would go sit in Reverend Herring's church, sit there before we'd go out and try to change things when I was a kid in college and in high school. Was that before or after Corn Pop? I don't know. The church Biden referenced, Union Baptist Church, was a prominent African-American church in Wilmington run by Reverend Otis Herring, an acclaimed pastor who passed away in 96. But Biden has made comments that seem to contradict that account. When reporters questioned Biden's claim in 1987 that he marched in the civil rights movement, he acknowledged that he wasn't an activist, quote unquote, and that his most significant experience with civil rights as a youth was when he worked at a majority black swimming pool as a college sophomore in 1962. Oh, there's the corn pop thing. Now interviews with longtime church members are raising questions about his story. Biden befriended Herring as an adult, they say, but they don't recall him attending the church as a teenager. Biden values. Very interesting. Oh, by the way, the Biden campaign did not respond to a request for comment. But they go on to report that Biden's biographical claims have raised eyebrows since his first presidential run over three decades ago when he was forced to drop out of the race after falsely claiming that he was the first in his family to attend college and that he was the descendant of coal miners. In February, Biden repeatedly told a story about getting arrested while trying to visit Nelson Mandela in South Africa in the late 70s. But the campaign later acknowledged This was not true, following a New York Times report that challenged the claim. Andrew Young, a U.N. ambassador who traveled with Biden to South Africa, told the Times, I was never arrested and I don't think Biden was either. Now, in a previous era, this would disqualify you, wouldn't it? Remember Joe the plagiarist? That was bad for him way back when. But these days, who cares? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter how much you lie. And this guy fudges the truth Constantly, the former vice president, they go on to say, has also made dubious claims in the past few years about having his helicopter forced down outside Osama bin Laden's hideout in Afghanistan and getting shot at in Iraq. Biden also claimed to have participated in anti-segregation sit-ins along Route 40 when he was just 18, which could not be corroborated by participants and historians. Now his claims about Herring and his involvement with the church are coming under scrutiny. Biden said over the summer that he had been involved with the civil rights movement, uh, the African-American community, since, quote, I was a junior in high school desegregating movie theaters. He was desegregating movie theaters. Come on, man. But Biden said previously he didn't know any black people until he started working at the majority black pool in Wilmington in 1962. (laughs) Oops. You know, this is awkward when people start cross-referencing your lies and realize what you're up to. He told the Morning News in 1986, it was an incredible awakening to me. I just assumed everybody treated everyone fairly. Biden's claims about Union Baptist have prompted skepticism from progressives. Sean King, a leader in the Black Lives Matter movement, reported in January that he spoke to unnamed former members of Union Baptist and people close to the Herring family and was told Biden's stories about attending the church as a youth were untrue. That's bad. When Sean King is outing you, ooh, that's not good. He wrote, four different people in Wilmington expressed to me that these claims of Biden are so outrageous and dishonest that it caused them to truly worry for his mental health. (laughs) Okay. 
Wow, that is really something. And it goes on. You can read the whole thing if you go online. But bottom line here, how exactly do the never Trumpers or the progressives within the confines of evangelicalism ever so slightly, that is, try to make the case that Trump is such an evil human being that Biden's the only good choice? They were the ones who were saying, oh, Trump's character is awful. Trump's awful. Trump's awful. Well, what's in the positive column on the other side, guys, other than the fact that you want to win the election and that really trumps everything else? That's the answer right there. It trumps everything else. And it has nothing to do with the Bible or the issues that matter to God's people. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. We've got to end things for now. We'll be back next time, though. Hope you can join us then. God bless you. We'll see you then.